Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Safety with Purpose. I'm your host, Tamara Paris, and we have returning Andrew Sharman, the managing partner of RMS, president at IOSH, the Institution of Occupational Safety and Health. He's a professor at CEDEP, the European Center for Executive Development, and our very own Brian McWhorter of Safeopedia. In this part two, we'll be picking up from our last discussion about are we focusing on the right things as EHS professionals? And a special shout out to Ron Gant for posting that question. We're going to also be looking at how to cultivate a planned culture, as well as leveraging community for safety engagement. Andrew's going to share a little bit more about the EHS Congress 2020 coming up in Berlin, April the 21st to the 22nd. So if you haven't registered, please do so. Thank you, Andrew and Brian, for joining us again. Thanks, tomorrow. Thanks, Tamara. You know, we hear a lot of people are going on about different theories, zero accidents and safety culture, Andrew, and it's all over LinkedIn. I just, at the conference that I went to, everybody's driving home about we've got to create the safety culture. Every time I'm starting to talk to different people, they're coming at me with a different idea about what these things are. And Mm. I was really hoping that you and Brian could shed some light about like, are we focusing on the right things? And how will you be talking about these things at the EHS Congress 2020? Mm. Um, yeah, look, I, I think the notion of zero accidents has, uh, is now in full effect around the world as people think that's the target they should be aiming at. And, uh, and of course, there isn't another number that any organization could hand on heart say, well, we want to achieve 26 serious accidents this year, or, well, we're happy if we only have three fatalities. Of course, there isn't a number that's acceptable societally or organizationally. Um, I I tried to tackle this issue a few years ago in in, in my book called From Accidents to Zero. And now the the name is deliberate. It's it's an A to Z guide running through the letters of, of the alphabet from A to Z with 26 chapters thinking about the things that I think are most important uh, to creating a a robust safety culture. Indeed, the subtitle of the book is a practical guide to improving your workplace safety culture. Uh, And in the book, in fact, I wrestle with the notion of whether safety culture can even exist. I'm I'm an organizational behaviorist and psychologist that specializes in organizational culture. So I see the culture of the organization uh, as, as a large circle. We can imagine it like that at the moment. And everything that happens inside the circle is what happens inside the organization, subject to the influences, the leadership, the systems, the behaviors, and the social norms of, of, of what's going on there. Uh, and I wonder whether you can have safety culture as a separate circle within that organizational culture circle. Uh, and I suppose there's one argument to say, yes, you can. Uh, safety culture is the way we do safety around here. But then by default, you'd also have to have a logistics culture, the way we do logistics, uh, a marketing culture, the way we do marketing, a quality culture, the way we do quality. Uh, And this circle that was once organizational culture is now filled up with lots of other little circles of other discrete cultures. Uh, And as, as I think about this more, my conclusion tends to be, well, actually, the way we do anything in the organization is probably shaped by a set of values and other influencing factors that come together to shape how we do everything. Uh, and when, uh, when a worker is under pressure, whether it's in terms of quality, safety, logistics, productivity, or anything else, it's those underpinning beliefs, values, 
uh, and artifacts that shape the behavior in the moment. So uh, I, I think, yes, there's been a lot of talk about zero. Uh, a target of zero doesn't feel good to me, although an aspiration of sending everybody home without harm, fantastic. Um, have we gone too far on behavior? I don't know. I, I, I think the behavioral theories of the past with people like uh, B.F. Skinner or Jean Piaget, uh, elaborated a bit more by guys like Sid Decker and Andrew Hopkins and, and uh, Heert Hofstede, have uh, all been useful in evolving how we think about it. Uh, and certainly we'll talk about all of these things in the EHS Congress. In fact, Sidney Decker, Eric Holnagel, Diane Parker, and many more. Some of these kind of um, the original founders of what we come to know today as behavior-based safety or safety culture will, will be there talking about what it means. And uh, and what we want to try to do in the EHS Congress 2020 is, is not just present information, but build some serious high-level discussion that rips apart some of these theories, that challenges the way that we've been doing things. Uh, to, to put the, the speakers on the spot, my style of, of chairing this Congress for the last few years has been to be provocative, to, to, to ask speakers to justify their space on the stage by, by proving how what they think can actually work and to engage the audience in, uh, in an interactive moment to, to really find out how they can take these learnings and apply them back in the workplace. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you're out there, Andrew. You, you really have a very good understanding of the worlds of business, corporations, and safety. Uh, a lot of what you were just saying definitely resonates with me. Uh, and, and Tamara, I, same, I've, I've seen so many discussions on, on safety culture where uh, I've heard some people that have really some different understandings of what culture is. And uh, <clears throat> I'm a big fan of simplicity. When we were trying to, to change things at the, the factory that I was at, is, again, 500 people in a hazard-rich environment, we did not have a safety culture. First thing we did was we defined for us what a, a culture would be. And uh, often, like you were just articulating there, Andrew, I see cultures are kind of mishmashed and just kind of grow organically. You know, it is what it is. Well, we decided we wanted to create a safety first culture. And the idea of a culture to me is the values, beliefs, and behaviors of a group. Now, I've seen cultures where uh, so performance driven, if someone took the time to put on their PPE, they would be mocked because safety wasn't valued. It wasn't part of that culture. And so, again, we wanted to infuse safety into everything we did. And we, it took us a few years to do that. So we tried to design a, a a culture where safety was important. And like you, you were saying, it, it's, uh, you could get that way with almost any of your KPIs are deliverable. No, we're, we're cost is number one. Quality is number one. Delivery is number one. But we, we made, and I really applaud our top leadership, actually from the Netherlands supporting us to our site, where they did make the commitment of, you know what, anytime it comes between performance and safety, we want safety to win. Safety has to win out. And, I, and again, the, the topic of zero is zero a good goal. I agree with you wholeheartedly, Andrew. You know, no other number. You can't really say, you know, uh, let's shoot for X amount of accidents. But here's how uh, one of the ways that I'll encourage people to do it. You know, the zero is a philosophy. You want zero. It's like how many, car, uh, how many airplane crashes is acceptable? Zero. <laughs> So, you know, the goal is zero injuries. The target might be a 50% reduction over last year. 
So we have our target, but we're always aiming towards that zero. Yeah. And, and again, I look for simplicity in those self-evident truths of, you know, what resonates as, as makes sense and how we do things that drive safety. Again, if I go back to that airplane, again, we know it's the leading indicators in our culture of valuing safety that keeps those airplanes in the sky. If we are sitting in our seat ready to taxi the airplane and the captain got on and said something along the line of, you know what? We value your time and, and we want to stay on schedule. We know we're going to head into some storms. So to make sure that we make up for lost time, we decided to skip our pre-flight checklist. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for flying with air mishap. You know, at that point, most people would be scrambling for the door. So again, it's that, that culture and realizing that what we do affects the outcome. So the goal is, is zero accidents, but we have to create that safety and that culture to where it reflects that. So yeah, I, I agree with everything you were saying there. <laughs> Well, I mean, as both of you know, I come from a social work background. So a lot of the times, what I, like what I, I see is culture, as you were saying, Andrew, our assumptions, values, and the artifacts that are often not even discussed. These things, people don't look at, are these things in uh, people's performance, in decision-making, in the mm. atmosphere? We don't get into the discussions and cultivate it as you were saying, like it just kind of organically grows. And that's not how you achieve goals. We don't achieve our goals by just letting them organically grow. We create a plan and, and we set a plan. And when I was doing my research about culture, there is actually six categories that we could be using to do an assessment. And, and I really like would drive people to, to research on that. How are you evaluating this thing you call culture? Well, well, look, I think you're right. Um, you, you, we won't get to achieving our goals by sitting hoping that we get to achieve our goals. We've got to focus on what the goal is, define it clearly, uh, and then work out the inputs to the goal. Now, uh, Brian used a, a, a lovely uh, example there of aviation. Let, let me use a different metaphor this time. Uh, I, I guess we've all at some point in our lives probably thought we want to lose a couple of pounds. I think that's common to most people, we, yeah. whether it's uh, we eat too much at Thanksgiving dinner or over the holidays or, or we, we had a couple of weeks of, of living the high life. We, we've all kind of got to that point where we think something needs to change and I just want to trim the belly a little bit. Now, we, we can do that uh, and we know how to do it, but, but many of us, myself included in the past, I have to admit, uh, I, I've hoped that I would lose a few pounds. I've, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've just thought about it a lot, thinking, hmm, I really wish my belly would be a bit smaller. But unless I actually do anything, it doesn't change. So if we think about the goal of losing weight, if I defined it as wanting to lose uh, five pounds or 10 pounds, I've got a clear goal now and a target. If I want to achieve it, I have to work out what the inputs are to, to success. And in losing weight, simply the inputs are expending more calories, so, so raising the, uh, the heart rate and the energy levels that we have. And the other input is the amount of calories we put in, so mm -hmm. calories we, we expend and calories we, we put in. And we need to work on both of those. And we all know that if we want to lose weight, we, we've got to exercise more and eat less or eat better. And so too it is in safety. If we want to improve our safety culture, we need to think about the inputs to great safety culture. Uh, and, and you're right, there's lots of models out there from the 
the model that Diane Parker and Patrick Hudson came up with years ago, and in fact, Diane will talk about it at EHS Congress, to, to the models uh, like the Bradley Curve from DuPont and the model that we've created in, in my business and, and others. And to be honest, I, I think most of these models are pretty similar. Really, it's not about getting caught up in which model is the best or the brightest or the smartest or has the most theory behind it, because all of them point to the same sorts of things. Um, in, in the book, From Accidents to Zero, I make a list of the top 10 things uh, borne out by the research that positively or negatively impact an organization's culture. So, so here they are. Here's the top 10. Management commitment, risk perception and risk management, safety systems and procedures, work pressures and scheduling, employee training and competence, the genuine and consistent management of safety, clear communications on safety, employee engagement and involvement, responsibility for safety, and regulatory compliance. Now, if you think about those 10 inputs, that's a, a pretty solid start point for any organization to, to construct a strategy for driving an improvement. Brian, I can see you're nodding. How are you thinking about those 10? Do they stack up from your perspective too? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You talk about driving you know, communication and putting a system in place. Yeah, those key elements definitely resonate. Um, and I've pretty much written articles where it stayed that exact same thing. So yeah, you're, you're dead on. You know, I would say <clears throat> if there's something that I will see sometimes missing, it's like you're saying, the, the model and the knowledge is there, but we, I'll see it deployed from an unhuman, you know, a dehumanizing perspective, uh, which again is just kind of ironic. We're trying to do this good thing of keep, keeping people safe, but we're doing it by numbers, not by showing that we care. So I, you are dead on right there. Now, if we add the human element to that, where we truly care about each other, then I'll teach that there are three levels to safety. There are three levels, and all of them have to be there to keep someone safe. They have to feel safe professionally, emotionally, and then physically. And here's what I mean. If, if I know that my boss doesn't care about me professionally, that he would, you know, if I, uh, he would fire me tomorrow and replace me, you know, I know he doesn't care about me as an employee, and I know he doesn't care about me emotionally. He doesn't respect me. He doesn't value me. You know, he de he'll demoralize me. Um, then if he says work safe, I know he doesn't mean it. He doesn't care. He cares about maybe not getting an OSHA violation or compliance, but he doesn't care. So, again, those human elements, before we can keep someone safe, we got to show that we value them as an employee. Yeah. We value them as a person. And then you know what? We'll, we'll keep them safe. So, yeah, I, when you're saying that, that's awesome. I, again, I love that you're out there, Andrew. <laughs> you are doing a lot of good. No, I think, I think it's a tag team. I'm enjoying this conversation and finding that, that some of the things that sometimes, I, you know, to be honest, Brian, I wonder, am I crazy here in the way that I'm thinking about this sort of stuff? So it, it, it's yeah. nice to be able to share some of these ideas and see that there's some resonance between them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Because, again, if you don't have that structure, uh, again, you can really care, but you know what? You're going to miss it. <laughs> you still got to have a sound strategy to make sure everything's in place to do what you want it to do. Hey, right. You know, and in fact, I was talking about this yesterday with these leaders at the, uh, the big food company. I said, safety is a bit like the human body, if we use that as a metaphor now. But the body, in very simple terms, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if this offends any... Uh, anatomists or biologists here but the body is essentially two things right it's a skeleton a bunch of bones that hold us together uh, and then it's a bunch of soft stuff 
skin, muscles, blood, organs. Uh, and it wouldn't be a functioning human body if we had one without the other. You take away our skeleton, we're just a pink puddle of mush on the floor. You, you take away all of the soft tissue and the organs, we're just a bunch of old bones. <laughs> so in safety, we need the same. We need a skeleton. We need a framework of systems, policies, procedures. But we also need the soft stuff, the, the, the psychological aspects of safety, the, those comfort factors, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, all of that good stuff. We need leadership. We need culture. We need behavior. We need motivation. We need support, some reinforcement, some recognition. So we've, we've got this interesting mix that OSH practitioners have got to be orchestrators of, I think, right? Yeah. Oh, and in that, I love your uh, metaphor there with the body. That's absolutely right. Again, you need it all. Again, we, we need that structure, and then we need to be able to show we care that, you know, the reason that we're doing all this is that you go home at the end of the day with all your fingers, all your toes. We truly value you as an employee. And that's where we definitely engage and see that benefit of amplified effort. So, and I'll, I'll see that when, when that safety message does resonate, the amplification of spreading safety throughout the organization, once people start having that epiphany, it is truly amazing. And like I said, you'll usually see, or at my experiences, I'll see all the KPI, KPIs go up also. Um, one of the, uh, an epiphany that we were able to use, and this came from one of my friends from, from Phillips in the Netherlands, Mark Van Dersen. Him and I were walking through a factory floor once, and we saw someone doing something unsafe. They were standing up on a piece of equipment without a rail that they shouldn't have been on. So Mark leaned into me and goes, hey, Brian, if that were your adult son or daughter up there doing that, would you feel comfortable? I, no, not at all. He goes, well, let's not let anyone do it. So we used that. We decided to spread it as our moral safety compass. So we told everybody, you know, let's be our brothers and sisters keeper. And if we see a coworker doing something that we wouldn't want our, uh, a relative doing, then let's not let them do it. And we found it put so much wind in our sail, that soft you know, part of the, the uh, body, like you were saying. So it, it helped us to hang on to the bones <laughs> to make exactly. sure that system is in place there. So that was great makes me think back to my beginning safety days. And I had a lot of passion for safety. And I wanted to hear from the two of you, you know, um, how have you seen it impact the acceptance and progression of developing a safety system, our, our zealous passion? Actually, I love your wording on that. Uh, true, the, the zealous, because I've definitely seen that. It's like uh, Andrew and I were talking about earlier where you've had that epiphany. So this is really important to you because you've seen the statistics, you've had the training, you know how important that pre-flight checklist is, um, but you're the only one. So when we try to preach it, again, people don't see it as you know, those first two things in place of, you know, we've got to show that we care about them as, prof as a professional, we care about them emotionally, we've got that moral compass in place. And one of the things I love that helps with this is I look for congruency. You know, if you're doing the right things, you're going to find very little incongruency. In other words, you're following that golden rule of, you know, I'm going to treat you the way I want to be treated. You know, that, that leadership thing that you had mentioned earlier, Andrew, of, you know, um, the leader needs to be human and show that they care. Um, I found that uh, the difference between a leader and a follower is actually nothing. 
a good leader is a servant of the people. The cost of leadership is um, really self-sacrifice. In other words, knowing what your people who are following you need. The main things that a leader says are, what can I do? How can I help? And a good follower is thinking like a leader, how can I step up and protect that, that leader? You know, we follow someone not to empower the leader, but to empower ourselves. So that, that caring, again, that, that soft aspect is so important. So again, getting that epiphany out there to everybody from that standpoint of, you know, this is important because we care. Now, I love that uh, in my travels, I found that 80-20 rule from the standpoint of 80% of the people I meet are really good people. So you can go out there with the assumption that we all want the same thing. We want to earn our paycheck. We want to be healthy. We want a good work environment. Well, let's use that as common ground to create the best culture we can to go home at the end of the day refreshed, happy, and you know, wanting to go back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you've, um, you're making me smile for a couple of reasons here. Um, one, in, in what you're saying and this importance of the, of the human connection, and two, and I just noticed you're wearing a T-shirt for my favorite album of all time, oh. YouTube's <laughs> Rattle and Hum. Uh, I was, all right. Uh, <laughs> I forgot I was wearing that. I, I was 15 when Rattle and Hum came out in 1988, and, uh, and it's still on my weekly playlist. It's, uh, uh, it, it's always there. My favorite band. <laughs> as, um, as you've been talking about this idea, um, uh, connecting you two to what Tamara has just said, I, I, I think there are some overzealous practitioners that still haven't found what they're looking for. Um, <laughs> well said. But if we can take the learnings that we've been sharing in this conversation and create a shared desire that builds collective pride. Uh, I can't remember what tracks they were. I think pride was track nine on Rapid Hum, the desire <laughs> oh, might man. Have been track four or five. You, but, you just got bonus points, Andrew. <laughs> but if we create the shared desire for, for human safety that builds a sense of collective pride, that's when love comes to town and we, <laughs> and we all win the silver and gold, right? Uh, my, my imaginary head is off to you, man. <laughs> but, Tomorrow, but you this know, is genius here. I... I, I, um, I I, I, I'm having fun, of course, with some of my favorite songs, but, but aren't there always great lessons to be learned when we look beyond the sphere in which we normally operate? Uh, I, I had never thought we'd be talking about one of the best rock albums of all time on a certain <laughs> podcast, but, but here we are. And I, I, and I think perhaps the antidote to, to being overzealous or the thing that might stop us uh, running from passion <clears throat> to zealotry is to, to disconnect frequently from the world of safety which we know and we've grown up in and, and to say, well, what, what, are, what are people really like? People really like music. They really like food. They really like vacation. They really like friendship. They really like family. Uh, and to see what lessons we can learn by looking at our own experiences of these things and, and perhaps trying to, to be brave enough to be a little bit creative about how we talk about safety. And I I, I wonder if there's now a new YouTube themed safety campaign or initiative that we <laughs> that we might try to create on Safepedia for, uh, for, for for readers and users uh, after this podcast. But I, I like particularly this idea that you say, and I've I've never heard it before, that the difference between leaders and followers is nothing. I agree with you. I I, I think it is. At first, my my mind started thinking, well, 
is, is one facing one direction and the others facing a different? But, but no, of course, that wouldn't work. So leaders and followers, uh, there's an implication now that they're traveling in the same direction uh, in some kind of line or, 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 uh, or, or formation. But actually, you're right. Some of the best leaders are the ones that don't lead from the front, the ones that lead from the back, perhaps. And the, uh, the American Swiss psychologist, Edgar Schein, uh, formerly of, of, of Harvard and MIT, one of the godfathers of, of culture, and, and, and I'm absolutely proud to say, a, a friend of mine that, that we often share conversations about safety culture together. Uh, and he, he has this idea that leaders generally have forgotten what leadership is about. And he talks about it being about the followers. Uh, and the way that, that, that Ed Shine suggests leaders think is, is with a sense of humility. And he has some wonderful books that he's written about the art of humility. Uh, Humble Leadership is one that I absolutely recommend to, to everybody. Uh, because I think Shine, uh, as a nonagenarian, uh, Shine celebrated his 90th birthday, actually, with me in, in one of our conferences that we, uh, we created a couple of years ago. Um, as a nonagenarian, he, he's a man of great wisdom and a great wealth of, of, of information and learnings over his lifetime. Uh, and I think it's always worth not just keeping one eye on creativity, but keeping one eye on wisdom too, and, and, and knowing that we can learn from those that have gone before us. And, and if we're prepared to listen carefully and to, as, as Ed Shine suggests, have a sense of humility as we do that, then effectively we can stand on the shoulders of these giants that have come before, whether it's Shine or Skinner or Piaget or any of these Absolutely. other great scientists, we can stand on their shoulders and, and, and reach new heights. And, and I think that's quite an exciting prospect for, for us as individuals, Brian, you and I, but also for practitioners and operational leaders, whoever they are and wherever they may be. Yeah, absolutely. The humility for leadership is the secret sauce. And the greatest thing that kills leadership is ego. Um, if I'm teaching a, a class on leadership, a, a clip from a movie I always show that just to me shows leadership so powerfully is the movie, the 300, where you have the brave Spartans fighting, you know, the Persians. And you have a scene where uh, you have King Xerxes of the Persians talking to brave King Leonidas and King Xerxes goes, um, you know, I crave victory so much. There's not one of my men I wouldn't sacrifice for it. And King Leonidas looks at him and goes, and there's not one of my men I wouldn't die for. There's the ego versus the humility. Yeah. You know, leadership is not a position you hold. It's a decision you make yeah. and anyone can lead at any level. I, I think you're right. It's a decision you make. And I think it's also the behaviors that you take following that decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you got me thinking there. I, I, um, I was on a factory tour recently, and this might resonate with you from your career in, uh, in, in Philips talking about a glass factory earlier. Uh, I was on a tour of, uh, of a factory that makes glass bottles. And, uh, and the pedestrian walkways are all clearly defined. And I was there with some of the senior leadership team when there was a, a backup, there was a jam on one of the glass producing machines. Now remember that glass is red hot when it's made, right? It comes out the molds and it's glowing <laughs> red. So you can see that it's dangerous to touch. You would not touch a, a red hot bottle. But I noticed that there was a piece of glass on the walkway. It was the, it was the stub, it was the base of, of the glass bottle, broken off about halfway. Uh, so I felt confident that I could pick it up by its rounded base uh, and, and put it into the, the, glass, uh, the glass trash can that I could see just near the walkway. 
Uh, and I, I bent down to pick it up so that nobody would stand on this lump of glass. And an operator ran at full speed towards me, shouting, stop. And he grabbed my hand and said, please don't pick that up. You don't know how hot this glass is. Just because it's not glowing red doesn't mean it's not hot. And you may try to pick it up and it may burn you without the correct equipment on. So please don't touch it. Let me move it for you. Uh, and and I, I stood there and, and I watched one of the leaders start to get upset about this operator grabbing my hand and, and, and shouting strongly about me not picking the glass up. Uh, and just as he was about to tell this operator to get back into line, I stopped and held out my hand a second time to ask to shake the operator's hand and to thank him sincerely for his leadership in safety. Uh, and as we rounded the corner and walked away from that part of, of, of the factory, I saw the operator with a huge smile on his face, retelling this story to his colleagues. Uh, and it made me realize that leadership is omnipresent if we allow it to be, if we encourage it to be, and if we recognize it when it happens. Uh, and where we can do that, I think it's our job to, to encourage more leadership in others, uh, even those who may not realize they have that leadership potential. That is such a great story, Andrew. I hope you tell that story in a lot of the places you visit. <laughs> Because that does encapsulate leadership right there. And the cool thing is, yeah, again, leadership, um, good leadership, and like what you've, uh, you've resonated through throughout this conversation is we want the emotional tone to be positive. You know, that employee is going to talk about that for the rest of his or her career. And, you know, again, it's going to spread so much goodness like ripples through a pond. Um, so again, that's a, a, a great story. I, know, I love how you thank the person, again, reinforcing it. Um, and I've been in, in environments where I, there's a factory I can think of in Mexico that uh, was a, a very poor environment in terms of the workers felt um, that they weren't valued. Again, those three elements, they didn't feel valued professionally, emotionally, so they didn't feel safe. And I saw a transformation take place from good leadership to where I visited that factory three different times. Last time I was there, the employees were truly empowered to where I tested a few of my, I went to step under their zone, getting closer to the factory equipment where I could possibly be, you know, in, in danger. And again, glass can be thrown, high-speed equipment. And so I tried this a few times and with employees that didn't know me. And in both times, they were very polite and go, you need to move back. They were totally empowered. You know, they had that safety culture. They were happy. I noticed the atmosphere was, was more energized, and it was just a much better. As a matter of fact, something really amazing happened there in that when Phillips decided that um, they were going to shut down some of their lighting factories, they saw the value of that people and that organization as an entity that was such a powerful asset. They were going to give them a different production line, a different, in other words, okay, we can't you guys, use you guys to make light anymore to make lamps. So you know what? We're going to use you guys to build uh, Sonicare toothbrushes or this. So uh, again, there's so much power in what we can accomplish if we have those two elements. We know we're protected, we're safe. So that amplification of effort, what we can do as a group is just truly amazing. Yeah. So yeah, that is a fantastic story. I'll probably steal that. And, and <laughs> you know, I had a friend I had a friend in a bottle factory, and this is what happened to him. <laughs> For sure. I, I, I think there's, uh, there's stuff that we're both learning from each other on this call. And it's, it, you know, isn't it cool that in, in health and safety, it's one of those things where 
you can steal with pride and you can say, hey, let me yes. tell you a story about a guy I know. Yes. Actually, that's one of the things that I, I found happily a few years into uh, being a safety professionalist. This is one of the only groups of individuals that will bend over backwards to help one another. You know, in engineering, uh, we're, we're so secretive trying to hold on to our projects and our information. But when it comes to health and safety, <clears throat> any of the health and safety professionals I've met us, hey, call me anytime. You know, um, hey, I just learned this. So uh, it's an amazing group to be a part of. As a community leader and creating community environment, I believe people can gain so much when we're sharing and we're part of community. And I know, Brian, um, in a past conversation that we were having, you brought up the whole notion about protection and amplification of effort. And I wanted to kind of pick your brains about how could we be implementing community into safety? Taya, one of the, the best ways that we found, I think one of the things that helped us with Phillips to turn that around is we created self-directed work teams of every department. Because there's something about the word team that, you know, if I know there are, are 10 people on my team or whatever, you protect your teammates. You, you protect one another. <clears throat> so it's just natural. As a matter of fact, I think we are more often, we'll take a risk ourselves, um, but when we see a friend doing it, it's like, oh, don't do that. Because, again, we, we all have that concept that, you know, we believe that uh, I'm not going to get hurt. It's not going to happen to me. Again, I always joke that, you know, when I, got out of bed this, when I got out of bed this morning, I broke my record for the most days I spent on the planet. Um, what are the odds I'm going to change that today? <clears throat> so we don't think we're going to get hurt, but we are instantly connected to our team. And also from a, and this isn't necessarily bad from a, a standpoint of even safety records, you know, if we got, uh, we have our team and, and say at that Phillips factory, we had 18 self-directed work teams. Well, you know, we're a little bit competitive. So we want to make sure by the end of the year, we have no OSHA recordables with our team. So we're looking out for each other. <clears throat> I was helping um, in Texas uh, with safety, uh, one of the, large uh, companies here and they had gotten a rattlesnake had crawled in again texas there's rattlesnakes so i i asked one of the employees i go well when you saw the rattlesnake did you just shoot it out of your area into someone else's area and he looked at me like who would do that <laughs> you know but you know with safety we do that all the time we'll see something unsafe and we ignore it but you know, of course they killed the rattlesnake and we need that community perspective of not just looking out for ourselves, but looking out for one another. Again, our, that's why communities exist. Our ancestors knew that one of them can stay awake looking for the saber-toothed tiger while the others slept securely. You know, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> again, that, that amplification of effort and safety are so important. So again, making sure that people understand that. <laughs> uh, that they have that epiphany of, you know, as, as a part of this group, my WIFM, what's in it for me is, you know, I expect to be valued and protected. And if not, then you know what? Don't expect me to engage and contribute. Uh, because again, it, it's incongruent. It's, it's not going to work. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. This idea of self-directed work teams is, is very important. And, and you've, I guess you've answered this question from an organizational perspective. So I just want to throw in 
a kind of more macro perspective, if I can, this idea about building community really leverages that earlier point that we were just laughing about at the end of our previous question, that isn't it cool how we can just share with each other? And uh, in fact, when I took on the presidency of, of, of IOSH, the Institution of Occupational Safety and Health, I, I issued a challenge to, to practitioners uh, and uh, volunteer representatives, branch chairs, uh, the council of members and so on, to earn your seats. And in fact, it's a challenge that I give to OSH professionals too, that we need to earn our seats at the boardroom tables and the organizations that we're with uh, and as professionals with legit legitimacy and credibility. And I think one of the ways that we can do that is to create communities of practice throughout any networks that we find useful to us. So in some organizations, they use WhatsApp or Yammer chat groups within the business to share safety ideas. Uh, of course, on, on LinkedIn, the three of us are, uh, are talking about lots of different things. And when I took this presidency of IOSH, I thought, I wonder what I can do that will have an effect to help other people think differently. So every week on, on a Friday, and I'm about to go post it after we get off this podcast, I, I do a, a very short weekly post, just a couple of paragraphs of something that's occurred this week that's really got me thinking differently. Uh, and I, I, I try to make it a little bit provocative to encourage some thinking and then see what discussion ensues. And I'm amazed at how people are reacting to this. Now, I'm not really sharing the learning to be truthful. I'm just sharing an idea. But other people that are commenting uh, are, are discussing with each other in the thread of the post and sharing ideas and saying, here's what we do in our place. And here's a way that I'm thinking about this. Uh, and in the first few weeks of these weekly posts, we're seeing some of them taking up to 25, 30,000 people getting involved in these wow. posts and sharing ideas and others saying, oh, direct message me or connect to me on this email and I'll share exactly what we're doing with some resources. So I think we've, we've all got a role to play and, and taking this back another step further about the idea of, of leadership. There are leaders that will stand at the front and say, this is the way. And there are other leaders that will stand at the back very quietly offering something into a conversation every now and again. And they don't need to be on stage. Leaders don't have to have big voices in the way that you or, might, uh, you or I might have to come on a podcast like this. Leadership is about contribution. So whether that's a few comments on a LinkedIn thread or the ability to gently nudge at a leader's elbow to say, have a think about it like this, or the ability to, to stop someone who you may perceive as someone more senior to say, take care here, let me look out for you. This is real leadership. And I think by sharing through podcasts, through LinkedIn chats, through Yammer forums or whatever works for, for you, wherever you are, it doesn't really matter which way you do it. So long as we're all actively stepping up and, and trying to make the world a better and safer place. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. You're encouraging leadership. Uh, that's, and you know, I love that idea. Now I'm going to start checking out your, what you're putting in on Friday. <laughs> But I love that. I love, you know, you're, you're getting momentum and exciting and excitement created with that. And it, all it takes is an idea, you know, a, a thread of thought. Uh, so again, that 80-20, you know, most of us do want to do the right thing. We care about one another. We just, you know, we're not sure at times how to articulate that, you know, how to move it forward. So you're kind of creating a venue for people to, to release that, you know, energy and, and, you know, I've got this, I want to help. But I'm not sure how to do it. So again, your structure in your book, again, so important. 
So again, um, we still need the deeds, you know, uh, the, the difference between knowledge and application. So we have the desire, you know, we just need the structure and, and you know, as professionals, help feed that, you know, right. uh, fan the flame where it exists. So that's, yeah, exactly. that's awesome, Andrew. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a strong believer in the, in the real job of all leaders is to encourage more leaders. Absolutely. I, think, I, I think there's a place for everyone to step up and lead the charge at some point. So, uh, yeah, maybe that's what we're really striving for. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is it. The old, you know, the old concept of a leader follower isn't really correct. You, you really want leader leader. You want it, you know, that decentralized command, treat everyone as a leader for their level. It always teach, you know, we, we don't like being told what to do. I'd rather be told what the problem is and given the opportunity to help yeah. solve it. It's so much more rewarding. So, yeah, you are a great example of that. Uh, very enjoyable. Like you said, I think I, we could probably sit here all day and talk about this stuff. Tomorrow, <laughs> <laughs> well, just keep recording away. <laughs> well, you know, maybe before we close out, um, we, we were – currently invited by tomorrow to talk a little bit about the EHS Congress that's happening in 2020. So perhaps as a closing point and, and linking some of the discussions that we've had here, uh, EHS Congress next year is in Berlin on the 20th to the 21st of April, 2020. Uh, and we're delighted to be back in such a vibrant city. In terms of what's going on there, we're anticipating 300 leaders from around the world. In, in fact, last, uh, last edition, we had safety leaders coming from Europe, the Middle East, uh, across Africa, the United States, wow. Australia, New Zealand, China, and, and India too. And the makeup of the, uh, the audience uh, at the last edition, 60% of the, uh, the attendees were heads and directors of, of EHS, 25% were EHS managers, and 15% were vice presidents of, of EHS or OSH. And um, in fact, you can pick up a video of the last edition of the EHS Congress just by going to ehscongress.com so you can get a feel for what it's like. I'm pretty excited about next year's Congress uh, in April, to be honest, because we've got some real heavy hitters in terms of speakers. We've got Sidney Decker talking about his idea for safety differently. We've got Eric Holnagel talking about safety one versus safety two. We've got Dr. Diane Parker talking about her original safety culture maturity ladder with Patrick Hudson uh, and a whole bunch of others, including Malk Staves, the Global VP of Safety at L'Oreal, uh, David A. Scotty, Head of HSE Culture at Saipem, uh, and many more top speakers. But it's more than just kind of giving information. As, as we've started to talk about here, it's about sharing and, and interaction. So there's a whole bunch of panel discussions and debates and lots of opportunities for the audience to interact, including a, a pretty tasty wine and dine evening where we've facilitated uh, a great opportunity to network with everyone that's there. So I'm pretty stoked about that. And I'm hoping that, uh, that you and Tamara are going to make it across to Berlin on the 20th and 21st of April next year. And we'll see you guys there to share more. So who's the keynote, Andrew? Uh, we have a bunch of keynotes. Sydney Decker is coming from Australia. Eric Holnagel is coming too to keynote. And Diane Parker is the third keynote. But we've, uh, we've got a whole bunch of other great speakers. Rona Flynn, Professor of Industrial Psychology from Aberdeen Business School. Martin Coyd, Head of Health and Safety at Mace Construction. And, uh, and a whole bunch of other top leaders. So we've got several keynotes. There's not just one. Oh, that sounds so exciting. Very, very exciting. Be excited to check it out. Well, thank you both for joining me today. 
You're very welcome. It's been a real pleasure. Brian, I've loved talking with you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for a great conversation. Oh, man, it's been my pleasure, Andrew. And thanks, Tamara, for, for putting all this together. Yeah, it's been a, definitely a, a joyful time. Oh, my <laughs> pleasure. It. My pleasure. And that concludes part two of my conversation with Andrew Sharman, president of IOSH, Institution of Occupational Safety and Health, and Brian McWhorter of Safepedia. We hope you found these episodes informative. For more information about our show and episode notes, go to safetywithpurpose.com backslash safetywithpurpose. To register for the EHS Congress 2020 that's coming up in April the 21st to 22nd, 2020, navigate to ehscongress.com. Please visit safepedia.com where you will find many resources in the form of webinars, Q&As, white papers, articles, reports, and more. Until next time, stay safe.